Hi, this is Debbie Taylor Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. Hi, I'm Debbie Taylor Williams. Welcome to 1 Peter 3. I have a question. Have you ever played Jenga? the wooden block game where you attempt to slide a single block out of the tower without causing all the rest of the blocks to fall. It's a fun game, but unfortunately, some of us approach relationships hoping that our pulling out a particular biblical teaching won't hurt anything. It's not true. We're surprised, aren't we, when our marriage falls apart or a relationship with a fellow believer falls apart. But if we look at it, it usually is because we're not following some biblical teaching. Relationships, the topic of chapter three, could not be more important or timely with relationship issues being the number one cause for suicides, not to mention divorce, church splits, family, and work conflict. Peter begins chapter three, saying that believing husbands and wives live in a godly relationship with one another. Now, I realize that the words husband, referring to a man, and wife, referring to a female, can be a trigger to those who say, gender is how a person chooses to identify. With over 72 genders being taught, as I mentioned earlier, it is easy to see why there is gender confusion and instability in marriage today. Peter's goal is not to confuse us, but to clarify. Let's begin by reading 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. No doubt, you just heard in those verses another trigger word, submissive. Before you tune out, please keep in mind that Peter's letter was not divided into chapters. It flowed as one continuous thought in which he wrote in chapter 2 that in the same way for the Lord's sake, submit to human institutions in verse 13 of chapter 2. And in chapter 2, verse 18, submit in the same way for the Lord's sake, servants to masters. And it also says in chapter 2, 21, 23, as Christ submitted to the Lord, his Father. So now, as Christ submitted to the Lord, verse 1 of chapter 3 says, wives submit to husbands. And in verse 7, husbands, in submission to the Lord, show honor to your wife. Stay tuned. Since the world's way of doing marriage is obviously not working, let's consider the teachings of 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Keeping in mind, this is not saying, if you're in an abusive relationship, this is not saying you should stay. If you're being abused, call a help hotline. This is not saying a wife should submit to her husband if he wants to watch porn, have an open marriage with sexual relationships with those outside of your marriage. This is not saying a wife should submit to her husband to be a part of something unlawful, 
How do we know that? Because the context is submitting as to the Lord. And the Lord would not ask you to submit to something immoral, degrading, or unlawful. It is written in the context of a husband honoring his wife. These verses are written in the biblical context that God created man and woman with equal rights and responsibilities in the Garden of Eden. They had equal access to him. They had equal naming of the animals. They had equal meaningful work in the garden. God elevated and appointed women such as Deborah as a judge. Esther is queen and influencer of Jewish rights. Jesus listened and honored his mother when she wanted the water turned into wine at a wedding, even though he said it wasn't his time yet. Jesus' first resurrection appearance was to a woman. The first evangelist Jesus appointed was a woman. Jesus advocated for an adulterous woman instead of siding with the legal religious men who brought charges against her. So it is important for us to realize this principle. God is for you. God's design is for us, husband and wife, to have a godly marriage, one that has order, honor, and blessings. Now, what does it mean in verses 1 through 6 that believing wives live in a godly way with their husband following Christ's example? The goal of our Lord in verse 1 is for unsaved husbands to come to salvation, for wives to win, that word is used, that they might be won, for wives to win their husbands to the Lord. This is always Christ's ultimate objective, people coming to saving faith in Him. We know a rebellious spirit never wins a person to the Lord. Therefore, the emphasis in verses 3 and 4 are that a woman, a wife, will win her husband to the Lord in this context. He writes, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. In verses 3 and 4, we see our Lord's heart. He is a God of beauty and detail. He is not saying to not adorn yourself with gold jewelry. This verse is not saying to not dress prettily or style your hair. God is a God of adornment. Look at the intricacies of a flower and how he adorns sunrises and sunsets. Read about the beautiful jewels that adorn the high priest breastplate. Consider studying the temple and the beautiful way that God had it be built. This call is not for wives to look drab. It is to bring it up a notch with how you dress. Be sure to include in your dressing, be sure to include adorning the inner person of your heart. Come out your tangled emotions in prayer before the Lord. Put on the glory of the Holy Spirit as you put on your gold jewelry. 
Dress for Christ in the hidden part of your heart, and you'll have a beauty that shows on your face and comes through your words with your husband. Continuing in verses 5 through 6, we'll put this verse in context after reading it. For in this way, former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. First, we must note, and not let this slide by, that you, the listener or reader, are referred to in the context of holy women. To me, this is amazing. It's a wonderful way of referring to you, holy women, a woman set apart for Christ with a holy calling heading to a holy eternity is to live with her husband in the same way that Jesus lived, submissive to the Father, in the same way Sarah lived with Abraham. No, she was not a doormat. She spoke up. And the Lord affirmed to Abraham to do as Sarah wanted when she proposed to follow the custom of the day and have a child through Hagar, since Sarah was unable to bear children. But Sarah also respected and followed her husband, Abraham, on his trek from his homeland when God called him to leave. The reference to Sarah calling Abraham Lord is not calling him God. It's a term of respect in that day. Now we see a principle. In the same way that Christ entrusted himself to God, believing wives entrust themselves to God in their relationship with their husband. So for we who are married to a Christian husband, it should be safe for us to trust our Christian husband who is submitted to the Lord. I can look back, for example, in my life and see how this has served Keith and my marriage well. When we got married, we lived in Lubbock, where Keith went to law school at Texas Tech. It would not have been my choice to leave Lubbock and my mother and father. I was so close to them. It would not have been my choice to move to San Antonio, where he accepted a job offer after graduation. But we had prayed that God would open the doors where he was to work and for us to live. It was hard waving goodbye and driving away from my parents, but it was the right thing to do. Years later, God put it on Keith's heart to leave his position over the largest section of the largest firm in San Antonio and move to the small town of Kerrville to raise our children. We were plugged into a wonderful church and I wasn't eager to leave once again. It was initially not in my heart to leave and move to Kerrville, but it was in Keese. I'm thankful that I was raised by Christian parents who taught me to know and study the Bible because I knew that rather than just adamantly say, no, I don't wanna go, I knew I was to pray. I knew God put into people's hearts like Abraham, like Keese, his will. Keith has always honored my opinion and has sensed the Spirit leading. So we prayed together and God comforted me and confirmed to me that our moving was the right thing to do. I have seen, I can testify that a submissive spirit to God and to your Christian husband who is following the Lord is 
the right thing to do. Although I have to admit, I have not always been submissive as I would have liked to have been. God had plans for Keith and me in Kerrville. After years of successfully practicing law, God called him to be a state district judge where he served 12 years before retiring and now serves as a senior judge. God had plans for me in the move. Soon after moving to Kerrville, I was asked to be the teaching leader of a large international Bible class. In 1999, God called me to found Hill Country Ministries, whose mission is to spread the word and love of Jesus. God has led me to author books and Bible studies and lead conferences throughout the nation, including my Pray With Passion conference that's been to all but two states. What God put on Keith's heart resulted in blessings for not only Keith, but also for me, our children, and I pray for others. How is your heart, wife? If it has been stubborn and self-willed, would you consider adorning it with Christ's humble spirit? Learn from Jesus, who submitted himself to the Father. What if you're not married to a Christian? I can tell you from watching and observing my mother with my father, who was not a Christian until 46, that the scriptures being taught in 1 Peter chapter 3 are sound advice for you. Mother thought she was marrying a Christian. He was a church member of another denomination than she was. He thought he was a Christian, but he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. After several years, it became apparent. My father eventually became a Christian, no doubt by the influence of my mother's prayers and behavior. We see this principle working. Praying and living out your faith in front of your spouse will get you further than complaining and undermining your spouse. In case you think it sounds sexist for wives to be encouraged to have a gentle spirit, please think again. It is to have Christ's spirit. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for yourselves. Jesus invites you to walk with him by his spirit. You, with a gentle spirit, are the presence of Christ in your marriage. Christ says to let your husband see the winsomeness of Christ in you. As we think about how to live out God's teachings, consider these eight practical ways. Which of them might you adopt that is different from the world's ways? The world says, nag your husband. The word says, don't nag, win by your behavior, pray. The world says, number two, be sexy and sensual. The word says, be pure from every fault, which is only accomplished by our confessing our sins. Third, the world says, don't respect him. The word says, respect your husband as a person created in God's image. Four, the world says, make adorning your body the priority. The word says, make adorning your heart the priority. The world says, number five, have a haughty spirit. 
prideful spirit. What does the word say? The word says have a gentle spirit. Number six, the word says lose hope. The word says hope in God through your marriage struggles. Number seven, the world says adopt a defiant spirit and attitude. The word says adopt a supportive spirit and attitude. Number eight, the world says disregard your husband's wishes. The word says honor your husband's concerns and wishes. Number nine, the world says use the culture as your example for married couples. The word says use the women of faith as your example. The principle is believing wiser to live in a godly way rather than a worldly way with their husbands. Now that we've learned it, how will we live it? The second division we see in verse 7 is that believing husbands are to show honor to their wives. Let's read verse 7 in the New Living Translation. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Depending on your Bible translation, the reference to women being weaker may cause your hair to bristle if you mistakenly think this means weak in character, weak in spirit, weak in mental capacity. The point being made, however, is even though there's a difference in male and female muscle mass, with men on the average having a higher percentage of muscle mass than women, muscle mass has nothing to do with the gift of salvation. Could I hear an amen for that? 1 Peter 3, 7 is a word from the Lord to husbands that the wife is a co-heir of His grace, an equal partner. The verse elevates women who lived in a male-dominated society. 1 Peter 3, 7 is God's charged to husbands to be kind and thoughtful, understanding and honoring to their wives. Christian wives showing respect to their husbands and Christian husbands showing honor to their wives is a blessing to a couple and a witness to the unbelieving world. There's another principle that we should absolutely not miss. The way a husband treats his wife affects his prayer life. Verse 7 says, a husband's prayers can be hindered if he does not honor his wife and treat her like a fellow heir of the grace of God. On the other hand, a husband who honors his wife and treats her like a fellow heir of the grace of life will be a husband whose prayers ascend unhindered to the Father. Now that you know it. Will you show it in the way you treat your spouse? In our final division, verses 8 through 22, we see a call for all to be harmonious, to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, to always be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in us, to keep a good conscience, to suffer for doing right, not wrong. What wonderful practical words for us to learn and live. Don't you agree? Let's begin with verse 8. To sum up, let all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, 
kind-hearted and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead for you were called for this purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking lies. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. It tells us in verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord, oh please let these words sink in. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, the eyes of the Lord, he sees you. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. Do you want your prayers attended to? But here is a warning. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter's words are filled with learn and live, know and show teachings, aren't they? Let's consider the 18, yes, 18 practical teachings Peter touched on. Jot the ones down the Lord wants you to do. One, be harmonious. Two, be sympathetic. Three, be brotherly loving. Four, be kind-hearted. Five, be humble in spirit. Six, do not return evil for evil. Seven, do not return insult for insult. Isn't that a good one for us married couples to remember? And eight is important. Give a blessing instead of an insult. Try that with your spouse if they accidentally or intentionally insult you and you turn back with a blessing. Nine, keep your tongue from evil. Ten, keep your lips from speaking lies. Don't be deceptive in your marriage. Eleven, turn away from evil. Twelve, do good. Thirteen, seek, pursue peace with people and in your marriage. Fourteen, be zealous for what is good. Fifteen, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Sanctify is from a Greek word that means to withdraw from fellowship with the world by first gaining fellowship with God. We gain fellowship with God by setting Christ on the throne of our heart. We turn control of our lives over to Christ. We trust Him with our lives and our relationships, our marriage. Is this hard? Yes, it can be. But these are kingdom rules for kingdom priests, which you are, believer. Back to our list. 16. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. 17. Keep a good conscience. 18. And last, suffer for doing right rather than doing wrong. What happens when we learn and live what God teaches us? Verse 9, we inherit a blessing. Verse 10, we see good days. Verse 12, the Lord sees us. And also in verse 12, the Lord hears our 
prayers. Oh, isn't this exciting? Which of the 18 teachings in chapter 3 is an area in which God wants you to grow? How is the Lord calling you to not only know His teachings, but to show them, to display them to the unbelieving world? I'd like for us to reread and review verses 13 through 17 very quickly, because these are words we need to hear as the Christian faith is coming under increasing attack. Verse 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Verse 15, that in addition to sanctifying Christ as Lord in our hearts, we are to be always ready to make a defense to anyone who asks us and give an account for the hope that is in us, yet with gentleness and reverence. What if you don't know how to defend your faith? You don't know what to say. If that is the case, use these seven points in verses 18 through 21 for your defense of the gospel. One, Christ died for sins once for all. Two, Christ died the just for the unjust. Three, Christ died so that he might bring us to God. Four, Christ's death in the flesh ushered in life in the spirit. Five, the disobedient have had Christ proclaimed to them. He gives everyone a chance for salvation. Six, God is patient and will save the one who appeals to him. And seven, the washing away of sins from your soul, your conscience, is what saves you in verse 21. Peter concludes with Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead, is seated at the right hand of God in heaven with angels, authorities, and powers subjected to him. Are we sanctifying Christ as Lord in our hearts, submitting to him in our relationships, defending the hope that is in us? What do you need to live that you've learned? What do you need to show that you know? Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.